Welcome to the multi-sport podcast for triathletes, duathletes, sportive riders, road racers, 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 racers. time trialists, runners, mountain bikers and fitness enthusiasts. Whatever your event or whatever your distance, this podcast aims to make you smarter and faster. Hello, I'm Coach Joe Beer and I'm joined once again for 2014's first podcast by, thanks for waving Martin, Martin Crocker of South Fort Racing. Hello. Uh, hello. Happy New Year to you all. Yes, Happy New Year to you all. This is the 124th podcast and welcome to 2014. There's lots to get through. Good. Seven questions, <laughs> seven bits of research. Oh no. Um, there's probably more than seven bits of news as well. Ooh. I know. What, don't say all. Some of it you know about because oh. I've sent it to you and you should have read. <laughs> you should have read it. I have. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> For those that can't see what I just saw, it was a man lying. <laughs> <laughs> you can hear it in my voice. <laughs> you can hear it in my voice. Hmm. Mm, yes, I read. Of course, I've read it. It's a dirty liar. So you look like a news reader. <laughs> Hey, this is called Planning Prevents Piss Poor, piss poor Performance. Possibly. Possibly. We've added that P in at the end. Okay, so, um, right, news then. Um, well, during 2000, the end of 2013, on the 20th of December, um, I had my 14th anniversary of having a website online doing coaching. And I'll show you a picture of what it looked oh, like. Have you got one? That's what it looked like. There's a couple of images oh that didn't. Lord. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, it was all right though. It's look, look the bits down the side, the index down the side. Yeah. But it was mm. called Ergogenesis because that was the name that I had at the time. You sure that wasn't a band you were in? <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, Ergo is power and Genesis to make. So it's to make you more powerful. That was the point of it. That took. That took literally days of of. Two people trying to <laughs> days of people trying to work out really? the name of that. No, anyway, um, no. Somebody came along and said they wanted to buy that name off me, and so I sold it to them. <laughs> but that was that was three hundred and fifty thousand pounds. Oh yeah, but no, that was um, so. Look, this was this was the twenty second of December nineteen ninety nine. So in the last century, um, mountain biking mountain biking article. Um, Coaching services update, uh, webcam coaching, because not many people are doing Skype. So I used to do Skype things before Skype was available. Um, Joe invented Skype, by the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's like, what you're saying. And there was, um, <laughs> and there was um, some fact sheets and an archive. What, they had printers back then? Oh, they had printers. Oh, it, dot matrix as well, I bet. <laughs> That's just a phrase you know. And you you <laughs> just know. throw it in there. I have don't no know idea what, what it is. Don't know what it means. You just throw in the word dot matrix. Um, right, you read these. I've got to read? Yes, you've got to read. Right, here we go. So, these are uh, reviews from you kind people. On um, I... On iTunes, well done, which again Martin. Joe invented. Um, <laughs> so uh, this one is titled Informative, Inspiring with Comedy. <laughs> mm. um, so uh, 
he says, I have listened for many years and the sound has improved uh, with the seagulls in the background. Yeah, um, not at the moment. It's not no, because no. it's um, it's it's 20 to 9 at night and uh, there's a full moon. It's miserable. Um, is it full moon, is it? It was a full, full moon. moon. Um, good information on sports science and research. Comedy gold with Crocker and his three-year-old research. I'm never going to live that down. Uh, three-year-old research. Keep the excellent work up. And that was from uh, Jeff Whitby from Surrey. So thank you very much, Jeff. Um, and there was a second one. Two, two in January. I mean, boom. This is it. People got time off, you see. Oh, yeah, they just have time to listen to them all. Bored, bored, bored. Uh, informative multi-sport podcast. Is that both of them using the word informative? Yes. Wow. I like it. I think there's a trend here. I like it. I've been listening to these podcasts. <laughs> I've, been I've been listening to these podcasts for some time, and they've helped me train consistently in the right zones with steady improvement over the past three seasons. Like some athletes, I have a natural tendency to think the harder the better. But Joe's advice has always helped me to focus on building an aerobic base uh, before adding the quality sessions. The double act with Crocker is always good to listen uh, to with some gems in some of the podcasts. Keep the podcast coming. Thank you very much. And that was Dan1961-ish. And I know this is going to sound, and people can believe this or not. Joe invented Apple Max. Uh, oh, shut up. <laughs> but... Those two things make it worthwhile. Yes. Because what you realise is people are listening to this. This is a freebie. This is, um, you know, people tried to think that they were going to sell podcasts to people. And no, it doesn't work like that. This is a freebie to go out to people. And uh, we've got one uh, one from uh, Australia coming. We know there's people around. And you kind of think, actually, it's just really nice to think that somebody put into effect what we've said. And they say, wow, it works. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because... You can't, I can't physically coach everyone. I don't want to physically coach everyone. Not everyone's going to agree with me. Not not everybody, um, as they say, can have a piece of me. There's only so many people that, you know, you can you can deal with. It's only, oh, it's, there's only so many slices to go around, Joe. <laughs> yes. But to, to put this out there, you sort of forget. And I started the new year and there's lots of other things. And I knew we were going to do a podcast. But it wasn't until I thought, oh, oh, better check the reviews. And, of course, two reviews pop up. And you think, ah, okay, there have been people that have been, you know, slightly, um, you know, either pulled us up on things or been a bit negative because we haven't quite done it the way they wanted to. But hopefully most people find that the information we're giving to you, um, free of charge, is something that and I passionately believe in. And I really, you know, uh, many, 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 many years into all of this. I'm still excited about yeah. the research that pops up, people's, um, people getting it, people suddenly going, oh, I get it now. And like, you think, brilliant, there's another person that now can enjoy it and can get more out of it. And, uh, well, the other thing is as well is, is I, I, I'm not kind of blowing our own trumpets as it would be, but... You're you know, not going to blow my trumpet. <laughs> but we, <laughs> we, we, we do this... We do this in our spare time, don't we? Yes. Effectively. Yes. Now, if yes, we, we, don't, we don't get paid to sit in my office. <laughs> if, if we didn't enjoy doing it, we wouldn't do it. No. no it's no, as simple no, as that. No, so, but, it, but it is, and there, you know, there are um, physiologists and there are coaches and there are other people that you know, have um, as big a knowledge base, if not bigger, and they've got experience and they may be you know, putting out things that you know, agree with what we do or don't, but... For the most part, I always want to think that what I'm putting out there, fundamentally, I can say I believe in that. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not just yeah. There's, there's been, you know, over the years, sometimes things I think afterwards actually 
that wasn't that wasn't the greatest of products in hindsight. But at the time, the information I was given, yes. I led to believe yeah. it was right. But for the most part, you've you've got to you know you've got to learn. You've got to look back on things. So it's quite good to see sometimes articles that were ten years old and think actually ninety five percent of that I was on the right money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and also that people do put these things into effect by the fact that they say, do you know what? I'm gonna you know I'm gonna do a leap of faith, try it. Oh, and it's working. And and sometimes it's counterintuitive. Um, and just to put you kind of in the picture, that the people that get base training get it. But I had somebody the other day that um, with a max of 185 was going out on a ride that we looked at their data online and um, they were hitting 180 out of 185 and the ride was called Steady. And I was like, wow, let's just have a look at this. So we, we got the data out of Garmin. We dropped it into um, into iSmartTrain. And I can break it down into 10, 10 beat per minute zones. And 40% um, was in zone one. 60% of the ride was in zone two and three. And I said, I know you're motivated to go hard. I said, but most people with a base can't achieve that kind of ride, even if they try and do it. Because... Yeah you know to spend that long in those zones is just physiologically not possible so it shows that the person didn't have a base and the the penny dropped they realized actually it wasn't the point to try and go out what they thought steady was and somehow get within five beats of maximum and it was kind of like quite good to see that you know this person loves their riding they want to get better but the simplest thing they could do is go back to base building yeah. and because they were so motivated and they have got miles it wouldn't take long for that to have an effect by backing off letting the body's stress reduce and then noticing wow i can keep my heart rate down and do that ride so i'm in zone one but i'm also at a good tempo so yeah it's nice it's nice to get some kind of positive yeah. feedback yeah, yeah. But, but even on the on on the kind of negative side even if you get the negative feedback it's not the end of the world for us because it only kind of fuels our fire to be able to make things a little bit more um, either informative or a bit more accurate, etc., etc. So yeah. yeah, well, I I I think there's this there's this model where um, you're trying to um, you want to you want to be real with what you're doing, okay, and you want to make you want to make it so that you learn. You don't sort of you know stick your heels in. Base trends being reproduced time and time again as the key concept whether they're an Olympic distance triathlete in the Olympics or whether they're you know, a mountain biker or a cross-country skier, whatever it is, it's, 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 it goes against actually a lot of the stuff on interval training because interval training was kind of put forward as the thing to do instead of saying, yeah, it's the thing to do once you've got the aerobic base and at the right time. If you do it prematurely or you do it without an aerobic base, you're kidding yourself. Yeah. You know, so there's effort going on out there, but why do effort that goes kind of off at a tangent? And I think it means you can enjoy your training, but most of all, it means people get, they kind of get back from it what they want. Yeah. You know, they don't have yeah, to think, yeah, oh, yeah. oh, I'm going to give it up in a while. I never seem to be getting any better. And, you know, and, and those people always seem to be able to do it. And yeah, there are, you know, it isn't socialist. There's various levels of ability out there. But there's nothing worse than if you haven't got, you know, um, let's say abilities within the top 10 percentile 
if you're one of the rest of us, the last thing you want to do is be training unsmart because you haven't got a hell's chance. No. Firstly, you won't win. You know, a great analogy the other day about the Brownleys. Somebody said, look, they started on the 50th rung of a ladder and now they've got up to the 100th rung. We can all train as hard as we like, but we're going to never get up to the 50th, 50th rung. rung yeah. So, you know, they were on a different planet before they started. And you see this with Max Test and you see this with innate ability, looking at, you know, the data of someone like Cadell Evans. You know, he was six watts per kilo, you know, as a late teenager early in his 20s and you think some people just got it you know and they just got it right there so thank you the two people that thank you sent very us much yeah thanks those, jeff those uh, things thanks, just makes it you know it makes it worthwhile but also it means that we know that it's hitting the right buttons. kind of buttons and giving people the right advice so thank you thank you thank you so should we have some news let's have some news let's have some news um right so at the jbst.com library page, there are um, articles on uh, swimming, biking uh, and running, actually, funnily enough. Um, so if you go to jbst.com, click on the library and then you go to um, various resources and you can pick up a magazine article. There's old articles, there's PDFs, there's sessions and the content is being updated every couple of weeks. So if you're looking for an article to read, you may already have that article through the Twitter feed, but if not, you can go there, download it. Um, they'll soon be available as PDFs as well. Uh, da -da 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 -da, the Club of Santa Camp is full. Sorry, Martin. That's no problem. You said you didn't want to come anyway. I, I would have loved to have come. I know. And, and you will be there for next year. Hopefully. 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 Um, for this year, we've got um, Scott Nedley's coming. He's so, taking the ride. <laughs> <laughs> um, and Vicky Gill. So we've got Ironman Wales champion and Outlaw Ironman champions, uh, male and female respectively. Um, and for 2015, if you're very forward thinking and you're thinking, I want to do a camp in 2015, um, it's the 5th to the 12th of February. You're an absolutely well organised, Joel. That's the bit above the surface. Underneath, I'm paddling like <laughs> billion. Like that, yeah. um, uh, Tri Show, which is at Sando now called, um, what's it called now? Triathlonshow.co.uk. Uh, I have three talks. If you want to come and listen to me or you want a Three spread. or three? Um, three, but, but they, they aren't are. free. They're two pounds. I don't know why there's a there's a fee this year for two for two pounds. I think it's probably to um, uh, probably to uh, buy me a sandwich. I don't know, <laughs> something like that. Uh, it probably I'll give is you two pounds. All right, thank you very much. <laughs> what to just not go um, on the Friday the twenty eighth of February. That's right, Friday twenty eighth of February, twelve thirty. Um, it opens. The doors open. I'm on at three thirty. Put that in your diary, Martin. Yeah. Yeah. Not that you'll be anywhere near that location. <laughs> no, yeah. On the Saturday the 1st, 10.15am, uh, and on Sunday the 2nd, 12.45. But also within that triathlon show at Code.uk, um, Dave Scott is over oh, once cool. again to, to, to do uh, Q&As and so on. So if you are at the show, do not miss this man. He legend. To listen to him, I could listen to him for hours. Um, I'm deliberately going to not be doing anything in the windows that he's, and I'm going to be... Sticking my head in the back door listening because he just he's just got a heck of a lot of experience. But he's one of those people that his um, communication ability is um, tied in with a really just nice to listen to voice. He's got one of those voices that just is you know he can easily just talk about paint drying and you could just listen. Yeah, 
so um, so that's exciting. That's in uh, the last day of February and the first two days of March. Um, and talking of March, we've got the Mallorca Bike Camp, 22nd to the 29th. There's just a few more bookings because the hotel is filling up, so we've just got a few more of those. Um, and that's it for for, for news. Um, products. Now, I know of some products, and I've showed you some pictures of some products, yep. haven't I? Yep. Um, and I know of another couple of products that I can't show you the pictures <laughs> of, but there is things going on. What do you know of that you can tell me? Because I know there are Power Bar products coming out, and mm-hmm. I know there are other products coming out. Um, I've seen some clothing coming out that looks quite quite funky, quite good. Dude, most of the stuff that I've seen is stuff that you a lot of the guys see in the press. Yeah, you know about two or three months ago, but physically we're getting to see this yeah. this kind yeah. of stuff now. So there's nothing like. Um, some of it is mountain bike kit, right? Um, which I tried to put on our shop Facebook. So basically, the um, but then that's quite late, isn't it? Mountain bike kit now, you yeah, mean? yeah. yeah. It's, it, and to be fair, it's it's probably been out a while, um, but we've been quite um, we've been quite slow on getting it in, just because the, obviously the importers just haven't got the, the amount of kit. So a lot yeah. of the info's out on mm. on the internet. So things like uh, eleven speed cassettes for mountain bikes, uh, SRAM stuff's all machined out. Of one piece of uh, CNC billet, so super light. Mm. Um, uh, you've got to have new freer bodies because it's all 11 speed now. So things like that, uh, rotor Rex cranks that we've been I've using seen those, on, yeah. on the mountain bikes. So a lot of the boys are running. And what's those the difference? What, what is what is Rex? What what's the difference between that and a road crank? Is it just its size of the spider and stuff? Yeah, the 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 BCD is different. So the okay, explain BCD for diameter, people that or the uh, bolt. BP, well, they call it bolt pitch diameter or bolt center diameter. Basically, you've got five bolts or four bolts on your chain ring, uh, and they're a certain distance apart, as it would be. Yeah. Um, so these are running. They will only work now with uh, rotor rings. So they've got a 76 BCD. Right. So and you can have a choice of the Rex one. Whereas well, normal rings, compact so. is 110. Yeah, uh, and, mountain... and road and road is one thirty standard. That's right. Yeah. yeah, and the kind of mountain bikes run at, at different box and the diameters as well. So, so that stuff's really good. Um, so you've learned something today, listeners. BCD. Yeah. So what, what... I had that in my arm when I was about twelve, that's didn't right. I? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you. Uh, um, so effectively, if you go into a shop and say I need new chain rings, they'll ask you uh, what size you need. Uh, and what BCD you've got, and they'll get and nine times out of ten you're greeted with a. Well, I haven't really got a clue. Yeah. But you'll either be running one ten or one thirty. So yeah. For a road bike. For a road bike. Yeah. 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 So um, yeah. So but now with some, Shimano, they've gone four on the newest. On the newest stuff. Stuff yeah. they've gone just four bolts, haven't they? That's so right. what's the BCD of that, or is it not? Uh, they're at different points, aren't they? So they're not. A, they're not yeah. equally spaced. What's What's happening now is instead of with, for instance, Shimano. New cranks, you can only use Shimano uh, chain rings. You know the way they sit on the on the spiders on the crank arms as well is slightly different. So mm. you need a special tool. So yeah, do it, you? It, it, well, some of them you do. Um, some of them do you not get to the bolt one of the bolts from the back of the yeah that's right from yeah, the back so. of the chain set. But then the advantage of the rotor rex as well is if you want to change chain rings, so the conditions have changed or the terrain's different, you just slip it off. You haven't got to take the chain set off anything. You just bang, put another one on, bolt it back on, off you go. Because the threads are actually in the spider that hold the chain ring on. Threads are in there instead of having to have two bolts to hold that. What a great idea. Pretty good. Pretty good. So, um, yeah, so little things just like that. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that that we've kind of tried and tested at the minute. So um, there's other things in the pipeline that that are coming through Mm. to us 
basically on a, on a weekly. Have um, you got any new Garmin's? Are they? Are they? Um, no, we've just had the new kind of um, <clears throat> eight hundred or the eight ten package in, which is um, purely for for touring. Right. So it's got all the maps, but none of the heart rate or cadence with it. So I mean, obviously you can you can add sometimes mm. you, can, you know you can add the, the little bits bits and bobs to it. But yeah, we've got we've got things like that coming through. Um, there's a few new helmet designs that I've seen, but I, I can't say too much yet about those. So other than that, it's all pretty it's pretty nice, it's pretty good this time of year. All the stuff kind of uh, trickling in. So new 11 speed Altegra Di2. That's all starting to come through as well. So nice stuff, nice stuff. Just uh, unfortunately, after Christmas, it's a lot of pennies to kind of uh, <laughs> have to try and fork out. So, um, but yeah, some good stuff about. So just uh, keep your eyes out. Right now, twenty-ish minutes in, because we run a different clock to the eventual clock. It's going to show. I reckon it's about twenty minutes in, maybe twenty-one. Um, right, first question. You're at the ready, aren't you? Yeah. Okay. Um, Carl Fannon. That name rings a bell. Yes. <clears throat> this is Carl from Australia, um, who said, um, he sent one back in March, and he sent another one through Facebook. So this is a question through Facebook. You can put them through. We've got um, emails from the JBST site. We've got um, people that have done tweets. So there's various ways you can do it. But Carl did it through Facebook. He said, hi, JB and Crocker. This is Carl from Down Under. I'm the athlete who you gave some great advice to before short course world championships last year, uh, which was in London, where I won my age group for sprint distance. Um, do you have any tips or training advice regarding keeping form over a longer than normal season. At the moment, I'm really trying to listen to my body regarding training. Um, results have been good to date. One more question. I'm looking to compete at the 2015 World Duathlon Sprint Champs. Do you have advice on how duathlon training differs from triathlon? Still loving the podcast and can't wait for January's. <clears throat> so you'll like this because this is January's. Um, so I guess we'll break that down for the first one. Training advice, keeping the season longer than normal. I think, you know, once you've got underway, you've really got to, in the season, be super flexible because it's no longer the same mindset as in the winter where you've got to get certain sessions done to build it all up. You've, you've got to respond to how did you well, um, how well did you race in the most recent race or how has the quality session that is uh, one, two or three this week, how's that gone? Because you certainly don't need to ultimately with a lot of people, they don't need to think, Oh, I've got to you know, throw in loads and loads and loads more miles. It depends on exactly what pattern of racing you're doing, but because you've talked about um, sprint and sprint duathlon, I'm kind of thinking that for the most part, you're probably aiming for, you know, well under 70.3, more like Olympic or something like that. So it's unlikely you're going to need to be doing lots and lots and lots of long miles and it's quite difficult for people to get that kind of in their head that they're racing and they might be just doing a lot of what is sometimes termed recovery, but it's not necessarily recovery. It's low aerobic work, it's technique, it's fun sessions, because in two days' time, you've got another hard session. But you've got to prioritise and flip it on its head. It's not about volume. It's not about you know how many sessions you actually get done. It's the quality sessions and how much they are building or not building. Agree? Yeah. <clears throat> would, would you say a question to you then, Joe? Would you say, for for reference, this with Carl? Um, could, 
I can imagine. Well, with 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 sprint distance, because it's it's upper end, isn't it? It's you know it, it's yeah. the high end of your of your rev limiter as it would be. Um, there probably would be more emphasis on, like you said, the quality stuff, yeah. and then the recovery. Yeah, much greater, much greater difference between the yeah. two, and not not looking at the end of the week and thinking, oh, I haven't really done much volume. You don't need much volume for the sprint and Olympic, and yes. Ultimately, you know the 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 Brownleys who do Sprint Olympic do lots and lots and lots of hours, but I'm sure they do a lot less hours in the season than what they do in the yeah, winter. Yeah. And it's easy, you know, it's always easy to to um to to have your competition get worse by overstating how much you do. But they're certainly not doing and their diaries and other elite athlete diaries. There's, there's one recently published that shows that they do quite a lot of training, but a lot of it is lower intensity because you just can't do it. You cannot be doing lots and lots and lots of tempo, then go and do some super high intensity and then race. So I think it's really important for people like Carl and anybody in the, the Northern Hemisphere that's moving on to a season to just sometimes bide your time as to where you put the effort in. Because you know he's getting near the end of his season, so it's really important to make sure that it's quality over quantity because yeah. it doesn't matter if you've just had <clears throat> excuse me sorry a 6 hour week but you hit the end of it and have a cracking sprint triathlon that adds another you know 59 minutes to your total it's what you deliver in those sessions it's not the winter base mentality which is i've got to get a certain amount done so that that sort of builds my fitness by the time you get to the season it's all about making sure you don't overcook it because once you get tired then the next quality session um is which is the key building block for improving isn't going to happen and because that isn't going to happen you probably then are going to either think oh i better do a long one instead of a quality no it's got to be all about those quality sessions and the research would suggest and and people's elite diaries would suggest three top end sessions is as much as you can do and for a lot of people it's two so think wow i'm only doing you know, two really hard sessions and maybe a third one that's got elements of hard in it. And the rest is, you know, technical swimming, working on your, you know, your your bike endurance to a modest degree because you're only racing for 20k on a bike. So you don't need to go off and do 100k rides. You're just going to exhaust yourself. Yeah. You don't need that sort of endurance because you've also got the fact that if you're at the end of a season, by the time you get to a certain point, you've got a lot of what I would call form or top end. So you don't need to be necessarily trying to find that. You've just got to hang on to it. Yeah. And that means don't overdo it and overtrain. Just pick your sessions and look to make them count. And the moment that you're not delivering top end, you've got to back off and give yourself a few days. Because the whole point of that shorter course and racing right to the limit is the worst scenario is to be flogging yourself in races or in sessions and it's just not happening because if it isn't happening you need to adapt by actually recovering more and you maybe have you know a week off of hard training and go back to it and feel fresh again and and the way you go that's the thing and it's almost like you get you for for an experienced athlete like carl he must get to that point where he thinks right these these big sessions aren't aren't working for me now these hard sessions so you've got to be honest with yourself because it is just literally like smashing your head against the brick wall so what you do is you put yourself in a place and go right this isn't happening i'm not hitting the figures or um you know i feel tired excuse me i haven't got time to you know to do this quality training so just back off a bit yeah because i remember he did say in his initial question back in march i think he was talking about because there was a few 
emails that we had about like 20 hours and we were saying That's well right. don't yeah. don't do too much and i don't know what he's done and maybe you can get back to us and say what you did do because it's interesting to find out what worked um it won't be any secrets that anyone else can necessarily uh, mirror if you're at the top of your age group it is clearly about hard work but you're also in a good gene pool and some people aren't and if they're coming in at 100th they're unlikely you know firstly if they're coming in at 100th um they, uh, they probably wouldn't be at Worlds. But if there are other races trying to compete for Worlds, some people haven't got that pedigree, and he clearly has, but it'd be interesting to find out what he did because once you move on to something you're saying about like World Sprint uh, distance for duathlon, the difference there is that you've got you know two runs, no swim. And it's stating the obvious, but to run hard twice is difficult. Yeah. So you have to run onto the bike much more controlled than you run off the bike. And if it's a typical, depending on the distance, you know, sometimes it's, um, I don't know the exact distance for that one. Sometimes it's been like um, 10K, uh, 20K, 5K, or it's been 5, 25. Um, that format over the years is, is differed a bit. But although you're talking maybe 10 kilometers of running, it's important that you run onto the bike and you don't affect 20 kilometer biking. Because if you took people and asked them to run really hard and then time trial on a bike, it would affect them. Yeah. So you've got to become an expert at working out through races um, to get to not only, you know, to qualify for the, the sprints, but also in the, in the sprint champs itself to learn how to get that first run, right. That's the most important thing. Cause as a triathlete, you've got the run off the bike. Yeah. What you haven't got is the run onto the bike and you haven't got a swim. So you could perhaps use your swim training. If you are going to just focus on that duathlon, use the swim training as, you know, a technical recovery session where you're doing some swim training. So you still keep your hand in, but you mix it with deep water running so that it's still, duathlon relevant so you mix between the two um but you remember that you're not going to be racing swim wise so you've got to learn more so than improving your swimming you've got to learn how to run onto the bike so that it it doesn't even affect you you get onto the bike and you don't even notice you've done it so you have to be below threshold you have to be easily capable of running you know 5k up on your toes and Moving along swiftly, yet from the outside, you look like you're breezing along and you're just a gazelle. You're just doing it. You're not panting and puffing because you get on the bike and you push yourself that hard, you will not ride to your best. And then that means the second run is affected by the fact that, not by the first run, but by the bike, bike. being affected it's by the first on. run. Yeah, it's a knock-on. Yeah, it's a knock-on. So, hopefully, Carl, um, that's another bit of advice. Get back to us with... Um, it'd be nice to know what you did... Uh, yeah, with your um, with your training, with the training up yeah. to London, that'd be good to find out how it went. Um, straight into question number two. Q two. Q two. Um, hi Joe, this is from Debbie Sheridan. I've listened to the podcast. Excellent, excellent as always. Thanks uh, for Eamon's Q and A that you read out. I wanted to comment on the last piece, but wasn't sure where to post it, so I've emailed it to you. Um, comment. I think a lot of age group athletes are oblivious or unaware of the fact that anti-doping measures and testing applies to them just as much as the pros. This was made clear to me a few years ago at the National 50 Mile Time Trial when I discovered by accident that only were the top three t um, athletes tested but a few random age groupers as well. Um, last year at four events I did there was testing of winners plus random testing of other riders. Um, I haven't been tested yet but I'm now very wary of cold remedies. Um, so yeah, I mean, um, Debbie competes at um, 
almost every national championship. So yes, there's somebody that's at you know national championships, but also it's other events. And I think you know as 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 the anti-doping um, um, builds, it probably builds more widespread um, viewpoint on things because clearly if people see at an amateur level that the professionals can get um, a benefit then there are and you know it, it would um, it would be quite clear and and it's quite obvious from the happenings where people have been found out to know that there are amateurs that aren't going to earn you know the the earnings that some of the um, uh, discredited riders, runners, etc., have, have earned, but they'll still do it because it starts to become very important. So their performance is all about all about what they do. It's a very small amount of people, but I think that people need to be aware that anti-doping, and for a lot of people, they probably in entering a governing body have already signed up to the fact that they could be randomly um, spot checked at any point. Yeah, that that <clears throat> Debbie's raised a good point. Really, is it doesn't matter whether you, if you're doing a sport where you're all right, you you may deem yourself to be of the high percentile where you you are a good good racer, but it's it's not a professional thing for you. Then it absolutely baffles me to think why people would. You know, there's, there's, I think recently there was a Masters uh, track racer got caught um, with that. Well, with the greatest of respect, you know, normally Master racers, I don't know what the track, the age on it, on, on Masters track, isn't that between 30 and 40, I'm pretty sure. Well, yeah, but it's, 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 it's five-year age bands now at UCI, yeah, so you it. can be 40, 45, 50, 55. It's the same as triathlon. There are age bands right up to, you know, people going around in circles at 70. But my, my, my mind boggles to think why you would want, what, at what point you think taking, you know, doping up would be a good would be a good choice. Yeah. I, don't, I, I, yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. I you know, surely, if we are not a professional sports... Can you stop calling me Shirley, first Shirley of all? Not. Yeah. If we're not professional sports people, if, you're, if, if your wage doesn't depend on you... Ah, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. But, but see, this is, where you, this is where you are such a nice man. This is what you don't realise. There are many people, and you can read between the lines when, um, when sometimes people write questions or ask about coaching or sometimes ask questions is that there are some people their absolute waking up tomorrow morning ego and sense of worth is absolutely underpinned by what they did in the last race and they take it ever so ever so seriously and I know you know you can kind of think yeah I like to get better but these people it isn't important it is the way in which they define themselves even though yeah. even though they should define themselves by you know being you know um uh parents or their yeah. job yeah, or it. you know doing doing other things in their community not whether or not they can you know I don't know, break the hour or break 50 minutes for a time trial or do an Ironman in under 12 hours or whatever. But see, that's what happens is there is a slippery slope and some people have caught themselves and we've, you know, we've literally said to one another during a phone conversation, yeah, this needs, this needs to come back a level. Yeah, yeah, I was kind of really starting to take myself too seriously. And a lot of people get that, yeah. but some people don't. And you do hear of people that, um, I don't know whether they've sometimes 
verged on taking dodgy supplements or dodgy processes or they've had a heck of a time of it with their relationships because they're really you know they are they are starting to you know they they believe themselves and from time to time there are um people in the industry that get um sponsorship requests from from different people and sometimes you'd have thought that you were getting, you know, um, an email from, um, you know, Craig Alexander or somebody of a, you know, or, or, um, Rachel Joyce or, you know, somebody of such a high level because they are really taking themselves seriously. And yet absolutely it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter to the extent that, you know, a lot of people's performance is about what they were. Luckily, whatever God you believe in, you were given those things at the beginning and the good training, the good equipment polishes it up a bit. But people start thinking that they're on the road to being, you know, the next big I am. And so they start putting more and more pressure on themselves. And what you see is they just haven't got it. Because if you've got it and you look at the, you know, the likes of, the Rachel Joyce's and the Chrissy Wellingtons and the Cadell Evans's and the Bradley Wigginses, they showed it so early and it went up at a rate of knots that the escalation year to year showed they had that certain talent. And other people make these little dents on their PBs and it still isn't going to make anything bar their local newspaper. And it's not to undermine people because I think people should do it, but it's at the point where it goes out of balance. Yeah. And that's when they start to think, I wonder if I dabbled in, you know, X, I would therefore be good. And it may be that that Masters athlete, there was one that I heard about that was on a a news piece that was also very high up in a governing body somewhere in Europe. Um, The Netherlands comes to mind, but I can't remember whether it was there. But, you know, they may well have been quite a good racer in their day. And, of course, then, if they've been defined by that, there is that sense that they they want to keep it they going, and obviously, it. you know, particularly in uh, you know in in athletes, the the dropping off of the testosterone ability and the ability to recover. Of course, if somebody can can feel like they're twenty years younger again and train harder, they're going to be beating other people. So there is probably there is probably far more doping in masters athletes than anybody has ever even really thought about uh, yeah because they don't they you know they, they are not the 20 something so they haven't got the right profiles so absolutely they would they would be like a spring chicken all of a sudden because their body is aging but they put something back in that they were getting quite high levels of in their 20s and possibly into their 30s so of course they're going to train stronger they're going to go really well but then you know to what end um you know you 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 can't stop time fair enough but there are rules yeah, and we'll, yeah. we'll go on to another question in a minute about about rules there are absolute rules but it does make you wonder what is going through you know that yeah, person's I, mind i think it must get to that point um <clears throat> like debbie was saying you know she's aware of it so you know she's now when when she gets i can imagine when she's getting close to the bigger races she's very or probably all the time very careful on what she mm. what she absorbs what mm. she takes even mm. if she's even if you've like something like a uh, cold or flu yeah. um you know uh syrups or or, or tablets like that mm. you might take it and then go oh, i'm gonna go and race anyway go and race and if you you, you do get caught it were caught, sorry. If you do, do get tested and, and then something shows up, you go, well, I'm not a professional athlete. You yeah. know, I, I, I've been suffering with, with the snivels. Well, unfortunately, sometimes that's not good enough, is yeah. it? Yeah. So yeah. You, it gives you an element of control. Yeah. 
But for some people, my mind boggles to, yeah. if it's not your paid job, yeah. then there's, why, there's, why? Yeah, there's an interesting um, scenario where a, 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 not, you know, a, a good amateur started doping in America and then got caught, but they've written all about it and, and kind of, you know, um, confessed all about what went on. But it was kind of, again, it was somebody absolutely losing the um, perspective in which they were competing yeah. because um yes there are people that do it at a professional level because there's there's big money looming yeah. if they can make the next and it would be a, a very difficult i'm sure moral quandary for a lot of athletes um to go oh yes particularly if they think everybody else is doing it that's the that's what come now it is it is certainly happening in many sports that there's um a greater awareness there's a greater level of people um being you know measured and and uh, having um you know medical passports and so forth but there's still definite possibilities to improve performance through doping yeah. and therefore people will do it if yeah. they think they can get away with it um you know they don't necessarily have a you know an exact moral viewpoint they're already probably on slippery slope if they start defining themselves you know um not by other things in their life but by absolutely their last performance because then you kind of think whoa that's that's you know that shouldn't be how you define yourself because um there are many other facets to you that you know, you might be a paramedic and save loads of people's lives. That's far more important than if you've done 55 Ironmans or you were top 10 in the attack at all. Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but it is it is something you have to be aware. You should... Um, it's funny how with all of this awareness, why medicines don't have... Do you know what I mean? Don't have a tick that say, you know, WADA approved or something like that because yeah. they do it with, you know, supplements so often now... Um, is it beta-alanine that I saw that had, um, you know, shake, 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 100% um, clean according to WADA list. So there's a, you know, there's a, a, a power bar beta-alanine supplement and there's there's a, a WADA thing. Well, there's got to be loads of that. There's got to be supplements that people don't know what it is. There's got to be own brands in many of the chains of um, sports nutrition shops that make their own brands. You think, well, is that necessarily? Yeah, exactly. It, 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 I'm sure there are going to be many accidentals, but the deliberate ones, there's this paper trail that that's right, leads yeah. back to oh right that's why they were doing so well and i think there are you know there are suspects in any region and any sport that people start to go hold on a minute that's a bit good and that's what you hear commentators commentators saying and that's what sometimes people you know start to um say it and it's not to say that clearly hard work goes into a lot of performances yeah. Yeah, but yeah. but there will be people that will cheat and I think that um, I mean, one of the things I did um, last year was to include a, a wider um, clause in a contract if I work with an athlete, because I just think it's it's silly for for me not to say to somebody, you should abide by the rules, because if you start getting better, and I think it's the training, and I'm convinced it's the training, but meanwhile, you're doing something that's breaking the rules. Well, if you get found out, then it taints me. Tarsed, yeah, you'll get tired. You know, and you get the, you know, you get the, um, uh, should we just say high-level cyclists that seem to have maybe tainted high-level coaches, that scenario happens, because, of course, they were all in it together, yeah. and that's what the people sort of think. But great question, question. and really relevant yeah. to most of you who have signed a document that says that I'm going to race under the rules in this uh, association.
Question three. Question three. Um, so this is from... Oh, and for those that are on the turbo trainer, out for a run or doing something, you're about 43 minutes through. 43 minutes uh, in. So uh, this is from Mark Chopra. Um, and it says... Uh, Chopra or Copra? I'm going to go for Chopra. Are you? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I have a dilemma, which... I was hoping... Hold on, when you said I have a dilemma, and I meant to go... Dun, dun, dun. I thought you were going to go, well, what's the matter? <laughs> um, I have a dilemma, which I was hoping you might be able to help me with. I am a swimmer-cum-triathlete with a weak bike leg. I'm thinking of doing a tri-slash-bike camp early next year. Do you think I should solely focus on just bike miles or mix it up with general tri-cam? <laughs> Cheers, camp. Um... Cheers and great podcast. So thanks for the question, Mark. Um, so the thing is, is that you can most camps you do mostly bike miles. Just yeah. from a volume point of view, there's only there's only so many uh, days you um, can run a lot because otherwise you get tired. Um, there's often the opportunity to do more biking because most of the camps are in better places. Um, they're in better places from the point of view um, of, uh, of of the environment. Therefore, you should be able to get more road miles. Don't you agree? Yeah, I, I think if you go to a tri camp, like you said, Joe, most of the time it's it's going to be bike miles anyway, just purely because the impact is loads less than having to do a lot of running. Um, you know, there's going to be a fair bit of swimming as well. So I. I am a. F I mean, Joe might well like he, like he would do anyway. Joe would correct me if I was wrong. But oh, oh. oh boy, oh boy, I'm at the ready. Whoa, 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 whoa. Um, but give me, I, give me, give me. I am of of the firm view that. Oh, you're of the firm I'm view. Of the firm view, Joseph. <laughs> but um, I would say if if you do have to concentrate on the areas that you are weak at, there's no getting away from it. It doesn't yeah. get better by ignoring it, does it? But oh, that is such a gem. That, I think it probably, probably I, I think, just I think somebody's going to want that on a t-shirt. We're already well, starting. To, you know, we're already starting to do these t-shirts, don't um, you? So I think you kind of you must get to a point where if you overload one thing, then the other things fall by the wayside as well. Yeah, and you are a jack of all trades. You've just acknowledged that one of your trades is really poor, and unfortunately, it's the middle fifty percent of the race. I, I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, you know yeah I mean? that's it's it. Like, look, you can be a poor swimmer, and it it never can be won by the fact that you're going to make up so much time bike and run. But it certainly isn't lost by the fact that you. But on the bike, you know, it it is the hard thing for people to take up when they maybe haven't done it because they've been a swimmer. But the equipment and the opportunity to get fit on a bike. I mean, you've got the lungs. You just got to teach your legs very progressively to get better yeah. at cycling. And yeah, that yeah. you know that doesn't just happen on a training camp or through a winter's training it takes a lot of learning how to change gear watching people how they ride their bike but it's certainly something where you can afford to overload and a camp is a good opportunity to do that but you also have to acknowledge that your habits leading up to that mean you don't want to get there and say i've done no bike miles because you're going to be you know absolutely hanging on the third day onwards by the fact that you just haven't got enough fitness but it's taking it back home and saying how can i get a bit more into riding because i can't you know it, if i'm coming from a swim background i cannot make up enough in the swim or swim far enough up the beach and grab my bike and keep going you know you have to get on a bike and ride it so in effect 
I think you go to a tri camp, but you acknowledge that where there's the flexibility to do different sessions, you're still looking to watch other people ride, get bike miles in. That by the time this comes out, we could um, perhaps we won't instantly be in snow because there's only a few days between us recording it and putting it out. But we've got the worst winter bit to come yet. It may be that people that aren't into their biking and haven't got all the gear, the moment it starts to even rain, let alone snow, They've not got a turbo trainer or the bike gear to go out in wet weather, so their bike in plummets. Whereas people with the gear or with a plan B to have a turbo, they don't mind. They just say do it. And maybe as a swimmer, you've got to look at investing in your bike stuff because if you're into it and you're into cycling long term, then actually having a turbo trainer is just a great thing to say. Great, I'm gonna you know, I'm gonna use this from time to time to to beat the weather and to get an extra sneaky hours worth of riding in but it's that long-term habit because that long-term habit means that eventually you'll say actually my biking's you know it's, it's feeling better i'm getting more competent and as i get more competent then i can do more and as i can do more funny thing is i want to do more yeah. it's, it's nothing worse than a weakness that you can't get on top of because it always feels like it's hard work to go back and do it once you get a bit of momentum and perhaps that's what the tri camp can do it can just nudge you in the direction of going oh yeah i can do longer rides and if and if i do practice as people say to you know to feed as i'm going along i can do quite a few yeah. hours i d- i think the tri i think the tri camp is it's perfect because you can still, you know, depending on how the tri camps run as well, you know, you might even have coaches there. So it's quite handy to still do your your running and your swimming, even though, you know, you might be stronger at those, but you don't have to overload yourself with that. Whereas the biking is your weakest point. Yeah. You'll be able to get into groups where you can chat to people, be more, like you said, learn, learn the tricks of the yeah. trade as yeah. it would be, learn how to go along in a group and not feel as though you have to be as stiff as a board because you're petrified someone's yeah. going to knock yeah. you off. Yeah. So learn all these little little skills that you're probably you might be missing because yeah. oh, you're you probably a better, will because yeah. better swimming and, and yeah. a better runner maybe. Yeah. But you know I wouldn't <clears throat> ignore the swimming or the or the running but go to the tri camp I, I would say because that's going to be your selected yeah that's going to be your selected uh, sport yeah. as it would yeah. be. Yeah. I think um, you have to watch you have to watch other people do things and do it yourself to be able to do it you've got to see it to do it to just get on a bike you haven't got a clue as to what you do as you ride along and then you notice somebody changes gear and you just all literally automatically do what they do you're starting to get habits and then you start to notice they get out of the saddle and briefly you know give their backside a rest but also it happens at exactly the same time as they're going up over a little bump in the road and you just pick all that up but you've you've got to be able to see it as a, a thing that will take you know hours and hours and hours you've been swimming you may be the first person that's ever even in your family ever ridden so you might be great in the water but to ride a bike you might be very ungainly and it might be hard work but biking is incredibly um it's incredibly possible to up the ante because it's a you know it's not no impact it's, it's supposedly a non-impact sport there's still forces going through your knee you can still fall off and it is frustrating that you've got to you know invest in equipment and having your bike service and so forth but i think why so many people are getting into cycling full stop is just because it's so liberating and fun to do it and so once you get into it and you get going it's great it's not like running where people go oh i've stopped running for a couple of months and oh it's it's murder to try and run again yeah. and then you realize yeah there's no there's also an age factor where your muscles don't quite repair as well as you get older with cycling you can just keep going and 
that means that the fact that a triathlon is 50% cycling is actually in your favour because yeah. a lot of time can be spent cycling. Um, if you don't like cycling, then triathlon is not your sport. <laughs> because, because no, just you've got to be honest. Yeah. So if people sort of say, oh, yeah, but I'm not really into cycling, well, forget triathlon. Why are you even considering it? Whereas yeah. as a swimmer, brilliant. You've actually got, you know, the hardest thing for people to be efficient and competent at. You should never overplay that because... Um, at the moment, you've got to be able to do the other 90% of the race. And if your biking's not where it should be, it's silly to swim like mad, get on a bike, and then have everybody ride by you and think, I just need to do more cycling. Yeah. But it's a good question because people don't all go to a tri-camp equally balanced across sports. No. And sometimes they do, and they quite rightly say, I'm not going to do much running because my running's kind of all right, but also I've had a bit of a niggle. So I'm just going to focus on the bike and get some good input in the swim, for example, with Dan Bullock. They say, I just want to get, well, that great. Don't go along and think, if I do everything, I'll absorb everything. There's only so much that you should be and could be absorbing mentally and physically. So sometimes drop something, we think, I can do that when I'm at home, which, yeah. and, which is normally, you know, run bits or bits where somebody says i won't just do that additional session i'd rather recover but a great question because there are so many people coming into sports that like triathlon that are three sport but they've only got a little bit of experience in some of them they're not them yeah. grown up doing swim bike run all the time yeah brilliant brilliant so um, best of luck mark anyway question four and this came about as a um it was a tweet conversation and i put i put out one that said um uh, it was on 9th of January it said kit rules update um, so for the smart ones who have the speedo um, try and super elite wetsuit the ETU have a new ruling sorry the ITU have a new ruling and that is as of um, I think it's still another year and a half to go the speedo wetsuits with the panels in the forearm uh, will be eventually banned for elite races at ITU I think they'll also be banned for age groupers at ITU races, certain championships. Um, there's no, there's no um, word on um, the uh, Ironman and them banning it. At present, they've only banned one wetsuit, which is a wetsuit by um, DeSoto that is um, uh, 10 millimeters thick in places. It's, um, I think it's got a 10 millimeter panel down the side of the hips. So you're not allowed a wetsuit in anybody's um, in anybody's rule book greater than five millimeters. So there's only one DeSoto, I think it's DeSoto that's actually um, banned because it's 10 mils. And then um, Kevin, or Kev Aston, 23, uh, got back to me and said about, um, uh, I think he said he calls it, um, he calls it um, kit doping. <laughs> and I was quite, I was yeah. quite like, I was like, whoa, 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 because, because it's, um, you know, and then and then he came back to me again and said, um, "Can I take the credit for the for the term kit doping, or has somebody coined that phrase already?" And I went online and looked for kit doping. I couldn't find anything that yeah, obviously you didn't have that one. yeah you didn't have that one. So yeah, you know, you kind of termed it, but it isn't because I know he was sort of saying um, I haven't got his, his subsequent tweet, but it was very much um, a response that said. I don't really agree with all that stuff. And there's a picture of him in the tri and he's got a vented helmet. He's got, um, I don't even think he's got tri bars. I think he's got, you know, drop bars and stuff. And I think, fine, there are people that, you know, want to do it old school. Um, however, it is not doping because firstly, doping um, acknowledges that something is wrong. Um, these wetsuits the Speedo have got are within the rule book. 
Okay. Um, perhaps the rule book would have to be updated. And as yeah. of 2015, they may be banned in all ITU based events, which may even include, you know, age group racing and so forth. But under the Ironman, they're not banned. So if they're not banned, use them. You know, they're not banned discs, use them. They're not banned aero helmets, use them. Um, whether people um, agree is a totally different matter. If you, if, if, you, if you agree, you've got to go back to, you know, Dave Scott's era where early on it was all drop bars, mesh helmet, running shorts on the bike, not even bike yeah, shorts. Yeah. And then you think, yeah, okay, that was yesteryear, and there are some retro races that are occurring. But if it's legal, use it. It's like if, you know, energy drinks are legal, creatine is, you know, um, beta alanine, loads of things are. Whether you agree they should be, that's not up for, that's not up for, that's, yeah. no, that's not that's for you, that's, your, that's an opinion. Yeah. Whereas yeah, the yeah. rule book states specific things and it says you can't go over five mils. So if somebody wore DeSoto that was 10 mils thick, they would be breaking the rules. Whether you call that kit doping, I don't know, but you'd be breaking the rules. If it's legal within the current definition of the rules, you can use it. Yeah. The fact that people might not be able to afford it, the fact that people might not want to go down that route, well, that's just a that's an ethical dilemma as to how, inverted commas, serious somebody wants to take it. But yeah. there is no denying kit can make you faster. Yeah. Oh, okay? yeah. It can't make you the fastest. Again, that's down to kit producing benefits to already existing gene pools yeah, yeah. but you see it with people if they change the right technologies across swim bike and run and i've tried that that wetsuit and when i did a, a timed effort in the pool i was stunned because i hadn't been in the pool much okay that's my admission i haven't been in the pool much and yet i did a time for 50 meters and i went blimey that is phenomenal yeah. now if it does that Great, because it's openly available on the market. They're still available on the Speedo wetsuit uh, website now, wetsuit uh, website now, so you can get them. They're not a closed technology. What do you think, Martin? I, I, yes, it, I, I agree with some of it, and I, I, I think it all boils down at the end of the day is, is budget. I think, and uh, if if your budget doesn't allow you to to have this equipment then yes i think you can you can feel aggrieved um but yes but then that's not that's the that's the sorry that's the that's the, again back to this sport isn't uh isn't socialist it's not actually that everyone's got everything available no. you've only no. got to see equipment that turns up in any of the olympics from um many of the countries the likes of which you have to go to you know your, your child's dictionary just to check dictionary rather atlas just to check that place exists you're like yeah. i never knew that place exists oh they've only got four people there and then you realize they haven't got the kit and they haven't got the chance but that's an unfortunate part that sport always always elite level people have got a level of support and a level of kind of like um what you'd call it almost like ritual and a level of um knowledge about what they do that even if you thought you could jump in um, you know, um, Johnny Wilkinson's, you know, boots and kick a ball. You wouldn't even know really where to go in the stadium to get to where you have to be to stand at the right place to <laughs> yeah, to it. have the right kit on and so forth. So it's you know, it is it is a it is a um, an increasingly what should we say an increasingly complicated area. There is lots of equipment, but also quite a lot of people get. Um, 
particularly when they've been in the sport for a while, they get quite a lot of motivation finding 1% here and 2% there from their kit because they realise after a while that it is hard to just keep getting quicker or or to sometimes be motivated. A little bit of kit sometimes is great. You know, when I, I... It really did kind of like give me that wow this this wetsuit's good actually yeah swimming's not all that bad really and 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 actually that's just it's just a mindset sometimes when you're on that slog back to where you want to be you sometimes need a little reward and it's not to say you always buy kit but i think that so long as the rules are clearly defined the only point at which somebody's breaking the rules is when they are breaking the rules and up to then if you know if if you want to go down the old school i'm sure i saw some news recently on the website saying retro retro races they did it in time trials a few years ago um i think it was ian Ian camish it might have even been planet x they got this you know um kind of old school have to have drop bars like you weren't allowed aero helmet. I don't think you were allowed um, deep section wheels. Deep well. section I you, wheels. I think you you had to up to a limit, didn't you? Yeah, it was kind of like there was an there was a, a year you couldn't be like post probably it was probably almost post eighty eight or something like that. It was at the point where the bikes really went bonkers, and therefore they drew the line and said you can't have any technology either side of that. Um, it's an interesting debate. Yes. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. But what what I always stand by is that you know the rule books there. So if somebody says, oh, I don't know whether I agree with that, go and have a look at the rule book because yeah. that's the only thing that has to agree with you. Whether you think. You know, the person down the road should have, you know, a Felt or a Scott or a Cannondale or whatever fast bike. That's up to them. And and the access to this stuff, some people have got more money. This is it. And, and another thing, just, just quickly, is if... Uh, I'm not trying to belittle anybody from doing it, but if you're stood there going, well, I finished 50th, but I reckon I could have won that if I had all that equipment that they've got. You know, sometimes the guys that win these races with that equipment have eked every last ounce out of their mm. their performance mm. and their training mm. and now have gone on to this kit and mm. this kit has given them that mm. that opportunity but again they haven't come from 150th mm. and then won this event the next time they bought all this kit yeah. you know there is still an element of of, of the genes in it as mm. well so mm. they you know they've got the the, the proper chromosomes that yeah. have that have all come together with their training and their kit yeah and actually ironically it's not kit doping, it's kit versus doping. Because what you'll find is increasingly now more and more and more. And I know because I've, I've seen some things and know about some things happening in terms of um, kit development where they are looking for every last bit, yeah. particularly in, um, in bike technology. They're looking for every last little bit. If they can find a few watts and that means that riders can go quicker without without thinking about doping, but also realising that doping has so many now um, obvious um, people don't get away with it and they're just kind of told, don't do that again, but you can come back in in a week's time. Now there's absolutely, you know, people get kicked off of teams, they get their money taken away, etc. And so they're looking at the frames and the wheels and the tyres and a few other areas to try and get every last bit out. So ironically... Ironically, we're going to see more kit development. Yeah, more kit development to, yeah. to enable yeah. these guys to be able to race with less, with no doping. Yes, at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One help the other. Yeah. If you know what I mean. That was a nice back pedal. Like yeah. That. yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so there was another tweet that went out, um, and this was um, make your bike training time count this year with some simple, effective sessions. And there was a bitly link on this tweet that went out on the sixth of January, and. Um, 
And Acton Blue, I'm sure that's the same person again. Perhaps it isn't. No. Um, yeah, perhaps it is. Said, what's the 75% rule? This is written in this uh, particular um, article. Um, and, I, and I kind of went back over it and read it. And the 75% rule was when you look at the data on endurance sport, at least 75% is shown up as being zone one. And there's a recent uh, piece of research on an Olympic Spanish uh, triathlete, top 10 in London in the Olympics in 2012. And they, they published her data on her training, number of sessions, number of hours and so forth. And lo and behold, when they analysed it and the, the team, uh, there's a lot of Spanish sports scientists that kind of did this early stuff on zone one, zone two, zone three. They kind of took it away and said, look, I know there are various places that people define as zones, but we're going to break it down into the three logically distinctly different zones of your metabolism where you're low lactate, you're accommodating lactate, but it's kind of like in not a great area, or you're at very high lactate and you can't be there for long. And they define them as zone one, two, yeah. and three. And they found that even with Olympic distance racer who's doing you know, approximately two hours um, of the small amount of time that she lost on the run at that point she could have still won it but it was just those you know seconds difference between literally 10 12 women they were all in in it together there wasn't a you know a brownly off the front type thing and um the 75 percent rule um is is kind of the lowest point that i've seen in endurance people saying look that's the proportion that they do in zone one is at least 75 percent so it was, you know, it's still acknowledging you've got to make your bike training count, but the 75% rule still says, yeah, but it's got to count by being mostly aerobic. If if you go out and back to the person earlier that was getting, you know, 180 beats out of 185, which is phenomenal, um, they weren't really making it count. They were just almost wasting time yeah. and pushing themselves too hard. And because that ride was typical and it was called steady, and it was 60% in zone two and three and 40% in zone one, it was absolutely, um, you know, um, I guess the technical term is asked backwards. So 75% rule means spend at least three quarters of your training time in zone one. In zone one, yeah. Done and dusted. Okay, we've got uh, two more questions and then we will fling through the research. Um, question six, um, Simon Clayton via, this one was via Facebook. They've used it all this time. Facebook, Twitter, email. What can you say? Joe invented Facebook. Oh, shut <laughs> up. <laughs> right. I'm a long-time listener, first-time emailer to your JBST podcast. Uh, my question, I hope, is relevant and will prompt a good discussion between you and Crocker on the podcast. <laughs> it was a gamble, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm a long-time road rider and 2008 made the change to triathlons, focusing on Olympic distance races. However, I've started focusing on Ironman distance races in the recent years. I've always ridden a standard road bike fitted with clip-on aero bars. Feeling flush over Christmas, I've splashed out on a TT bike. My concern is, is what problems should I expect to experience as I adjust to the aero position? Is there any effective adaptation strategy, say, on the turbo or rollers? Is there possibly some effective exercises that I can work on at the gym? So that's Simon Clayton. I think it goes back to first and foremost is, you know, it's not if you've done OK on your on your road bike with the aero bars. There's a lot of things that I'm assuming must be fairly good with his position. That's not to say that you haven't survived it, you know, for the past few years and it still needs to be looked at. But. Both of them need to be looked at from the point of view that 
they could still be wrong and therefore the concerns moving to the aero position on the tt bike are that you let what i see you let the aero bars drag everything forwards on the bike you 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 overly stretch you overly go onto the front of the bike you lose handling you don't necessarily get um, amazing aerodynamics but you get a hell of a handful whatever the bike is because you've got too much weight on the front of the bike yes you can attain an aero position but aero is no longer extreme aero is about you know handling i see it as abc it's your aerodynamics it's your bike handling and it's your comfort and those things are perfectly possible for 112 miles on the right bike but you've got to get the setup you've got to get a comfy saddle and perhaps there's a few things you can look at on your road bike um that weren't working you say right i need to get that right on the road bike first before i even try and adjust myself onto the tt bike but also get some kind of professional input on your position because otherwise you may be wrong on the road bike and then immediately try to attain a position that you've seen somebody on the internet um doing it totally wrong thinking i've got to be that low i've got to be that stretched and i think it's difficult because it adapts over time it's not you don't set somebody up and say that's it for life you're done and people's flexibility the distances they ride the the comfort they've got or the comfort they never got on their bike needs to be attended to so i don't see bike fit as done dusted and gone it, it kind of it can be tweaked over time and the effective strategy is you, you know you've got to go back to getting your bike set up right and then yeah use rollers and turbo to get used to your bike but you're going to take a fair while to get used to i mean i i hate moving bikes because i think it's one of those things where you've got absolutely used to your bike as a glove and then lo and behold you change it and it doesn't go right doesn't and it takes right, yeah. you six months to get everything even though you think that that's set up exactly right because bikes sometimes differ in how you can even set them up yeah you don't quite get things right and then you spend ages trying to get comfortable again so it is a long-term project you're splashed out on this tt bike it's not going away quickly you are doing ironman races so i think you've got to give it time yeah yeah a b c and d and the d being drive or delivery as in power oh martin then you stand back stand back people i'm on fire um but no that, um, it, is, put him out, put him out. it is one of those things that you'll you'll have to go on your you have to go on to i'm the, writing that down to abcd so honestly these i am giving you for free oh thank you thank you <laughs> but, and you'll see it turning up sooner than you yeah. think oh god um and i'm a small t-shirt anyway um but yeah that, i mean the one of my little uh, pet hates, actually, with, with as soon as anybody clips any form of aero bar onto a bike, is they just immediately push themselves forwards. Yeah. They yeah. basically overhang the front wheel. Mm. Um, whereas it should just be a lowering of your position on the bike. But yeah. you still need to be comfortable. You still need to be able to, to breathe properly. You mm. still need, you know, mixed with aerodynamics and, and being able to deliver the power. So um, it, it, it will take a bit of getting used to to start off with um but like i said if if, if you if you're able to get someone to have a look at your bike fit brilliant yeah so. and so it's, a, it's it's not a quick solution um but i think i think it moves away from this idea that you just got to do you know a few um core exercises at the gym or you know it's it's an hour a day and a long ride at the weekend. I think you've just got to get used to that bike and its little nuances and, and ride, you know, ride it so that you get, you get it right. Don't assume that it should be uncomfortable or it should 
handle like a bag of spanners it shouldn't it takes time and yeah. sometimes takes a f- sometimes a few people's input to actually sort out why it is you and the bike don't quite work together and it might be that you have to you know ask a, a chiropractor or a masseuse or somebody that's your that does your bike mechanics or somebody that you race with that seems to have the right position but you haven't been able to find it i i, I think it's a harder thing which is why if somebody comes to me i don't sort of you know measure their inside leg roll out a form and say that's what you've got to do yeah. you've got to see them riding see what they're used to see what they might be able to attain but certainly not go oh you're going to suddenly lop yourself 10 centimeters forward away you go i know you've got a race in two weeks but just go for it you know you've got to kind of you've got, you've got a bit to... of a feeding in kind of yeah. sessions don't yeah. you into yeah. it yeah. like going back to your old bike going well i'm comfortable there this thing's quite similar to it um but yeah just uh, just just keep kind of having a, a feeder session of the bike so the sessions get slightly longer and longer mm-hmm. any niggles or, or or um kind of pains you get kind of address them rather than forget about them and think they'll go away so mm. yeah i remember that abcd it's good it's good thank you paul sill um who's in road racing the cat three in manila i've never not heard of them manila cycling team um Anyway, he says, very informative and relevant podcast, lads. Thanks. Can you tell me, apart from calorie burn, what benefits using Concept2 rowing machine may have for cycling? Uh, I'm using it as part of gym sessions, but not sure if I should just be concentrating on core and leg exercises. I do like to keep a little upper body strength, which is which I think the rowing may assist. Um, this isn't an advert for the machine. Leave it. Leave that bit out if you want to. It's not necessarily appropriate. Thanks again, Paul. Um, and the uh, the thing was Jim rowing machine benefits. I think there's a couple of things there, really, because... I've got one for you. What? Number one, if you go as hard as you can on a rowing machine, it never, ever feels that bad when you go as hard as you can on your bike. <laughs> it's an awful piece of gym equipment, but its relevance to hmm. kind of... What you can do on it is is brilliant. Yeah, Cause, but but what he's looking at it is looking at it two different ways. You know, the benefits of using it for cycling, and he also says about should he be concentrating on core and leg exercises. I mean, core and leg exercises are separate to the rowing. You know, that is doing um, a, a core program and resistance yeah. training, particularly. You know, if if you are, um, I mean, you road racing, so I think you need. You do need some upper body strength as well. You don't. You don't want to just think I won't do too much upper body because um, I don't use it. Of course you do. You're you're not trying to sit on the bike and be a you know a super efficient time trialist that's hardly pulling on the bars. You're absolutely hammering. You have um, aggressive changes of pace and direction that mean that a bit of upper body strength is good. But primarily, you don't have to you know have um, Arnie's arms, but you do have to have strong legs. Yeah, and I think that. The concept two is good for um, an all-round conditioning um, session for aerobic fitness. If you just wanted to do something different, you thought, actually, it's at the gym, I could do that. But if you're doing enough riding, and we are this late, you know, winter January now, it's probably too late to say, I just want to do a bit of cross-training for a while. You could do it next October and say, oh, I'll do some October, November, December as part of, you know, something different to get me off the road, but to just keep fit. Because of the highest levels that's been measured in VO2 max, it's rowers and cross-country skiers because they use their whole body. So you're certainly going to get good fitness benefits, but it's that whole thing that, how I would see it is you do a bit of 
concept to steady state rowing before yeah. you go on to leg and core work but the reason why you're in there really is for the leg and core work you don't really need to use the concept as your way of getting fitter if you're riding your bike that's your primary exercise and what you don't want to do is do too much rowing and find that i mean there is a carryover because you're using you know primary drivers that are very similar rowers you know like james Cratton will get on a bike and okay he's, he's fit anyway but they're good rowers um I'm trying to think of the female rower that jumped on uh, Romero, Rebecca Romero. Rebecca Romero, yeah. yeah. You know, there's no, there's no um, surprise that you know rowers are handpicked sometimes because they've just got those primary drivers. I mean, look at rowing when you look at the action of what they're doing. Then you look at somebody pedaling. The only difference is the seat moves in a boat, but they're still using their legs and they're using both legs at the same time and their upper body. But there's a lot, there's enough similarities that if you did too much rowing, it would be to detriment of your That's cycling right. yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um if you're road racing there's not uh, there's not an absolute need for you to sort of use um rowing as a way to to train absolutely you've got to be on the road and be on people's wheels and be looking at the technical aspect of it but to do some rowing for something different and then to work on strength exercises as well as core um is certainly a very valid machine yeah far more than many of these muppet adverts on telly telling you you're going to get the body of the person in the advert if you use this strange looking device for two weeks you sit in your chair <laughs> sit in your chair sit and chair. basically get yeah. electric shocked to yeah, uh... yeah. or you do this special you know abdominal thing and suddenly their whole body from head to toe is ripped to ripped to bits and it's all down to this you know ab ab super riser dizer exercise ab 3000 Oh, whatever, yeah. whatever. Um, the... He said that. If Ab3000 is listening, he said that to me. I don't even know who Ab3000 are, to be um, fair. But I, I think just use it for fun. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's what I do when on my winter training. Is I go to the gym, which, to be honest, I'm not a massive fan of. Um, but you are the, massive. I mean, more to the point, I'm built like a stick insect. That's probably more like it. But um, I always warm up with a little bit of jogging as i call it um and then the concept two i've not heard that phrase for years jogging jogging i do i don't run i jog yeah um so and then on the concept two but another thing with the concept two is bad form just just creates oh i love that it's nothing worse than than bad form on a row how do people recover over the top of their knees do they not get the sequence you pull to the back you then are recovering, and then you recover. I mean, they, they get it totally wrong. They manage yeah. to recover up and over the knees. I think, what your arms do? Where'd you get your arms there? But it's, it's things like chain slap and everything. Oh, like that. you could hear it coming through the machine. You know, what, you know, what I've got, I've got concept two now. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I love it. It's brilliant. I just got the time to get on it. Yeah. Well, and the and the thing is, is is after that, then I go on to my weights. So oh, yeah. you know, yeah. Now you're talking. Now you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he gets the one and the two kilo off, and whoa, whoa, whoa! He didn't think, I don't want to. I don't want to build mass. <laughs> but no, he is. It is a, a brilliant machine for off season. I, I would like Joe was saying it. It, it probably fires your primary muscles mm. for 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 leg work, yeah. uh, and your back and your lower back if your posture's good and, and, and your yeah. form's good on it. And here's so. here's the thing, Paul, and for anybody, you know, there are. Um, world rankings for the um the 2000 meters that's right yeah and if you get into rowing you've got you've got to do some aerobic rowing before you attempt to go flat out for, oh. for, for 2k but it's quite a good thing to you know to be able to see it as not you know not another thing to compete at but 
people start doing rowing and then they get into it and they just like it because they go you do the concept you can pick up concept two rowers relatively cheap if you want an at-home thing they work really well they just do it but then you do these you know rowing races and you start doing however many minutes and then um, lo and behold you know go on the world rank and think oh actually that's quite good oh I wonder if I can get into the top 100 and, and it's you know, it's a time trial, but it's just you and the machine. Yeah. So it's a very, you know, when we're talking about simplistic and less of technology, it's just you and the machine. And, you know, and the best rowers are, um, okay, technically they may not be the best on the water, but some of the best times are done by some of the best rowers. There's no kind of like, you know, technical um, uh, mishmash. And I think it's a very honest sort of yeah. um, whole body thing and uh it's non-impact it is relevant to cycling you can you know see it as something completely different and uh, i'm a big fan i have to say i'm a big fan hence i've got a concept too yeah. always have been so we're into the research thing now um what was going to be your um your interlude to this some kind of um you know little little jingle or something no i don't i'm all right i think i've given you enough feel a little bit drained actually do you yeah <clears throat> okay first one <laughs> and we're going to be flying through these we're hour 20 of the podcast we're going to be flying in so first one uh which was um i'm gonna give you a title actually because i know you love this effect of bovine colostrum supplementation in older adults during resistance training. So for you, Martin, that's using colostrum when you're weight training. Okay. These adults were 60 years age. All right. Um, plus or minus five. That doesn't mean they kind of had a five-year-old or some had a six-year-old. Okay. As a child or anything. That's that's just the ran. That's the variability around the norm. Okay. So it took five years off them. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, they had uh, colostrum. They had 60 grams of colostrum a day and another group within these, um, as they call it, a cohort of 40 people had whey protein. Okay, so one group had whey. There's the pen. One group had whey. Another group had uh, colostrum and they did 12 exercises, three sets, eight to 12 reps and they did it for three days a week. So there was a strength, you know, a, a strength program going on and they measured various markers uh, within the people, including bone reabsorption and uh, looked at their leg strength and so forth. The people on colostrum increased their leg strength by 24 kilograms, whereas the weight group, it was only eight kilograms and it was statistically um, significant so it wasn't a random error it was something that was part of the, the process so in these older people they found that um, eight weeks you know longer term use of uh, of colostrum increased leg press strength and reduced the bone reabsorption in older adults so there's something going on there that related to um, the gut and builds on this um, this already uh, existing platform of, of benefits that colostrum seems to have. Then there was another one that I found that was at the back end of the year, and this was a pilot study on hormone and autonomic responses in competitive cyclists. So they're actually looking at what happens um, to um, cyclists as part of um, sort of competitive cycling and how it affects the body and if they're given this um, colostrum or if they're given a you know a kind of a uh, a control does it actually do anything and lo and behold um it affected the cortisol um in a, in a good way and they concluded that it maintained the salivary testosterone concentration 
and over consecutive days of competitive cycling it also modulated the autonomic activity so it was it was keeping the riders in a better state of health despite them you know working hard and being competitive so it was a, a pilot study it was only 10 um highly trained athletes they had vo2 matches of 72 so they were um pretty uh, useful i haven't got the full paper at present and it did say in you know, a pilot study um to ex to provide justification to explore this effect on endurance athletes and this was at the back end of the year um both of them were um just at the back end of 2013 but it was another two things that are still they're still finding it out um i think i first wrote about it 10 years ago there's a piece in cycling plus that's on the web that i wrote about on colostrum and there was something then and we knew and the olympic athletes had been on it to the build-up to 2000 games wow. it was, it's well known about it's not you know um yes you know um openness yes i have um links with um with neovite um but it's a good product that's why i'm linked with them because it works yeah, and i yeah. know it works and they backed research that we talked about in the previous time um there's soon going to be um welsh produced organic colostrum um which should be online sometime this year rather than being um from new zealand and pro teams are using it pro athletes use it there's, there's lots of people that there's you know rugby teams using it as well. rugby teams yeah. using it yeah there's not you know people don't walk around with necessarily on their forehead but there's plenty of people and some people that have you know been drained or had um surgery or in some way know that their body's been compromised for a while will get on colostrum for you know maybe two three months and just say i just want to rebuild my body i just want to get back to normal so there was two pieces of research um and they were they were tweeted about but if there's ever things that we talk about that you need to know oh what was what was that um piece of uh, research um i will let you know i won't necessarily make everybody else's job easier to find things and say oh i've just written about that thanks for the references but i will certainly help people that that want um, want to find out about these things and you know about this one this one is does a, <laughs> does a non-circular chain ring improve performance in bmx and it does. And it does. There we go. That's that bit of research all done and dusted. <laughs> that was Journal of Sports Science and Medicine 2014. So this was just out, very, very just out. Um, it, was, it was a Spanish-based uh, group. Um, and the bottom line was it was a, a funky setup with this non-circular chain ring on a BMX bike. So the BMX bike is a single speed. So you, if you vary the chain ring length at the front you've got to have a tensioner at the back yeah. to keep that chain from whipping off it's not like a road bike where your rear mech pulls on the chain and if you on uh, off round rings such as osymmetric or rotor as it goes to bigger or smaller parts of the chain ring the rear mech just pulls and lets go of the slack in the in the chain plus it's got a front mech as well which keeps it as a which guide, keeps it as a guide yeah, yeah. um but the you know, bottom line was they found that it improved the initial acceleration capacity, but only in elite riders. So perhaps there's only a difference when there's a certain level. Um, it was you no, know, it was a it was a, um, uh, a quite high level, you know, national um, team uh, group in Spain, um, and it was just you know under four seconds of sprinting. So it's a, a relatively um, small amount of time, but 
an equally important sport that's into the Olympics. They're now looking at, again, technology yeah. to improve performance. Yeah. But it's quite good because, you know, years and years and years ago, probably before you were born, actually, Martin, no, I was, I was really into kind of BMX, but not BMX racing. Didn't really, I wasn't explosive enough. I didn't really like that. But I was really into BMX, used to like, seeing the magazines american magazines with bmx in it but it's always been one of those things i'm really i quite like i quite like to watch and i quite like you know um but you know for a fact joe if you sat on a bmx you would look utterly ridiculous <laughs> yeah because i've got such it's, long legs yeah but no just just uh, grown men in general or, and ladies if you sat on a bmx you look ridiculous but it is fantastic to watch and if you're good at it Brilliant! I need, a, I need the cruiser. I'm I'm a wheelie person. I just do wheelies. I don't, I don't do wheelies. <laughs> wheelies and skids. No, no wheelies. Ten minutes was my longest wheelie. Ten minutes. Ten minutes. Yes, yes. Around a car park. Yeah. Funny that, isn't it? That's just balance. That's all it was. Just balance sitting there, and you know. Fair enough. <laughs> Research number three. Um, examining. In... Rewind. Examining self-training procedures in leisure swimming. Just an interesting thing. They looked at 387 regular swimmers. And there's a little point of this. Okay, it was a French-based study, but and this and this absolutely bodes true. The male strategy consisted in performing higher distances of swimming versus. Um, the females. So the males typically swam about 1,800 metres and the females swam about um, 1,400. Um, the males um, used uh, several swim strokes and uh, pieces of gear involving the um, upper body muscles for crawl and paddles and so forth. Um, but they did find there was a distinct difference between the way that um, men and women actually, you know, for, for recreational purposes, actually went to the pool while the reasons were and typically for the men it was to do you know um a, a certain amount of um uh yeah there was health benefits but they seem to you know they say that the motivation for middle-aged people appears to be general health benefits um by performing the identical swimming session without evolution during an entire year so they just go in and do you know 40 minutes of continuous swimming and never change what it is that they do. So probably there's an autopilot there that means that they can just, you know, kind of think about other things. But people aged 20 to 30 um, increased distance and or intensity during the year. So they have this sense of trying to get themselves, um, you know, kind of faster. Um, but there was definitely a male-female distance distinct difference there um whereas women were more concerned about duration of the sessions sorry um they mainly used breaststroke and it was quite they kind of just wanted to be in there doing breaststroke as opposed to accumulating a certain amount of time yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but backstroke is associated with people aged higher than 50 <laughs> and i just thought that was such a strange conclusion <laughs> as if people get to 50 go, oh i better do backstroke now got to do backstroke now yeah i'm 50 got to do backstroke oh, good. yeah like but just a weird one that yeah, i just yeah. picked up on and thought it's quite to look at because you know that's that you know i i know um some some people that i know a uh, male and female you know some of them fit into that absolutely they're female they go there they just swim up and down and say oh yeah i've done my 30 minutes a male will swim up and down and go yeah i did 1900 today and yet you know they are absolutely typical to what it suggests yeah, yeah, you know yeah, and like you know yeah. if they did 1950 that's better yeah, yeah. you know whereas whereas a lot of people just do the same amount of time um one on cadence we're getting near to our hour and a half so we're getting near to our our, our endurance limit <laughs> 
Um, this was a study in the Journal of Sports Science and Medicine, 2014, so it's just out. And it looked at three hours at either 80 or 100 RPM. Okay. They varied the power outputs between 50, 65, and 80%. So there was a variation. Try to mimic changes that go on in, um, in sort of road races. And then at the end of it, towards the end, there was this, um, if you like, ramp test to exhaustion. So looking at, is it better to stay at 100 RPM through these varying efforts or stay at 80 RPM? And they looked at the energy cost. They looked at the... Um, uh, the efficiency of the riders, and lo and behold, the what were they? They were they're about thirty. They're mid thirty fives. They trained sort of ten to fifteen hours per week. Um, their peak power for people that do a ramp test, their peak power is three hundred and seventy watts, and their um, threshold was about two hundred and ninety watts. So you know, good solid club riders really <clears throat> they're not going to set the world on fire um they had you know a, a four and a half liter four and three quarter liter vo2 max eight percent body fat and they're in the 30s so you know solid riders um but not pros and they've done you know done enough riding so they were capable of doing this three hour ride and what they found is at 80 rpm um you're more efficient by about one percent or so very roughly but the, interestingly, when they got to the end of this three hours, the performance test for people that had only been doing 80 RPM, but still doing this 50, 65, 80% variation throughout, um, they were able to get to 362 watts. The ones that had been spinning at 100 RPM only got to 327 so that's 362 versus 327. Yeah. So, you know, significant amount of watts difference if that represents the final push to the line or how much effort you've got for the last hill at the end of a, you know, stage race. Um, and what they found were prolonged cycling at higher cadences is less efficient, resulting in greater energy expenditure and a reduced peak power output. Um, uh, during a maximum performance at the end of the ride. And ultimately, that's what you know, end of rides are. Yeah. You know, be it a, a sportive where somebody wants to try and you know, pull away from everybody else and, and get to another 30 places quicker, or it's the gallop to the line, even if it's only for minor places. But there is this... I think there still is this idea that higher cadences work, whereas there's a point where throwing your legs around in circles is inefficient yeah, because yeah. you don't need to do um, 100 RPM if your legs are producing just 50% of your um, VO2 max. Um, they had, for those that kind of think, oh, it could be down to fatigue, they did have drinks with 40 grams of carbohydrate per 600 mils. So they were, they were feeding, so there's not a sense they were doing anything out of the ordinary that people would, would actually do. But, you know, for example, when... Um, when they were riding at, say, um, 290 watts, which is their 80%, the ones that were at 80 RPM were at, um, it was what? It was about 2.6 mils of, of lactate. The ones that were 100 RPM were at 3.2. So that's a significant jump in yeah, lactate. Um, when they were at 65%, it all dropped down. You know, they were the lactate was much lower, but it was still 
higher in the 100 RPM group. The 100 RPM group is still using roughly, it's very roughly an extra calorie per minute to do whatever they were doing. So if they were at 18 calories per minute when they were doing 80 RPM, they were at 19 calories per minute when they were at 90 RPM, which doesn't sound much, but you know if that's a well, calorie a minute, top, yeah. that's 60 per hour, that's 180 calories per the whole ride. And 180 calories doesn't sound much, but that's still 180 calories. That's still 40-something grams, 42 grams of carbohydrate. Um but it's still enough to make a difference because when it came to that final push, one group on low cadence got to 362, the other group on high cadence got to 327. That's it. Well, so, that you know, that 30 you know, odd watts yeah. is a difference between yeah. winning and losing. Yeah. So. And it is, it is a sporadic protocol, whereas if you did that for, say, a time trial or triathlon based economy of effort, you'd keep at you know, a pretty constant cadence maybe 80, maybe 100, but you wouldn't be going 50, 65, 80. This is to simulate those changes of pace. Yeah, yeah. But still, most people, when you look at the data on optimal cadence for, for steady state riding, want to be at or around 85 RPM, very roughly. Um, as power goes up and up and up, and you start talking about professional rider outputs of well over 400 watts, then they do have to be nearer to 100 revs because they just have to produce it as a matter of how many revs per minute they can do. They yeah. can't do it at 80. So it was, you know, it was, it was a very well-run study. It was a US-based group, and it was you know quite a, a good methodology. They really kind of kept it tight. And I hadn't seen that done before. It's kind of been thought about but not done in that specific way and they you know a trained group doing 10 to 15 hours per week so they were you know they were accustomed to it and it does again suggest that higher cadence is not the way to go unless you have to do it yeah. you know you don't yeah. sit there at high cadence thinking 100 rpm is the way is the way to do um very quickly a bit on lower compression um you know um compression tights this was um, from the Journal of Science, the Journal of Science of Cycling, um, and they they looked at um, people doing um, kind of hard efforts using tights, hard efforts. Um, what was found that the difference was perhaps not statistically significant, but there seemed to be an effect on the um, what they perceived to be the soreness. And what people felt they could do in um, in subsequent efforts. So maybe where you get a scenario where somebody does an effort and then they need to recover, there was a small but significant improvement in the um, measured amount that people could do. It's only small, and I think yeah. I think recovery tights are maybe a very small effect. But if you do it enough times and you do it, you know, when it matters, it might be the difference. And the person that why I got it was a uh, Shona Halson, who I interviewed way back when the tour was in the UK, which was two thousand eight. Oh. I can't remember. Uh... Which I can't remember what year it was. But she's from the Australian Institute of Sport, and she does a lot of stuff on recovery. And they're looking into this, so they're more and more thinking. Hold on a minute, there's something in this. And they were looking at highly trained cyclists again. You know, VO two max is of of sixty six. So these people are. Um, are, are very highly trained. I didn't look at the exact um, 
I've got the, the paper, but I didn't look at the full details as to, you know, whether they were custom compression clothing or whatever. But there was something there. And I think with recovery tights, it is something there, even if it sometimes keeps an athlete warmer. Um, it allows them to feel like they're still an athlete even when they finish training because yeah. everything feels tight. And well, you know Even I mean? if it's a support, isn't it? it yeah, know, it, yeah. It, it still serves or it makes purpose. them think... I'm doing something as part of recovery, right? I'm not going to reach for six beers in the yeah. in the fridge. I'm going to. I've got to keep on my recovery sort of thing. So um, a small but more likely possible effect was was to be had. Uh, almost there. Research number six is feeding during recovery from aerobic exercise this time, and on the skeletal muscle intracellular signaling. Oh, well, why didn't you say? Yeah. I thought you'd like that phrase. Um, it was basically about how even just 60 minutes of cycling, um, pretty modest intensity, they looked at, at feeding um, feeding people with um, a, a sort of a recovery drink and then immediately one hour afterwards doing it again. And you've got to look at all the, the signalers within the, the, the body, most of which um, I couldn't tell you exactly what they are, but they're, they're various markers of what's going on within the muscle. Um, this group was eight males. Okay, they had a VO2 max of 52, so they're not massively trained, but then that's not the case. They're working at 70, 72% of VO2 peak. So they're working you know, moderately hard, not flat out. And the data, when they looked at all these markers, um, demonstrated that feeding... Even during something that's not exhaustive, even a non-exhaustive bout of aerobic exercise, um, it stimulated um, the signalling within the muscle yeah. that was favourable to promote the, the protein to be synthesised within that muscle. Um, so it may well prepare the muscle better for subsequent exercise. So these data support... Um, the role of feeding on mechanisms regulating protein metabolism and recovery. So when sometimes people think, you know, they're doing themselves the world of good by not taking in anything at all, it may be that a small amount, you know, they're talking about um, 0.8 grams of, of 0.8 per kilograms of carbohydrates. So if you times your body by 0.8, you're not even timesing it by one and saying, wow, I've got to have, you know, 70 grams or 75 grams. You're talking, no, perhaps about 50 grams of carbohydrate, 0.3 grams of protein, so about maybe 25 grams of protein um, and a small amount of fat. So, you know, 50 grams plus maybe 25 grams. You're talking something in the region of might be 300 or so calories. Yeah. So it's not to say that you know, they didn't do a massive amount of work, they only did 60 minutes of, of, of cycling, but there's something there, and this is only one hour, and this isn't exhaustive. Take that out to two hours, and you'll start seeing more of this, I think, happening. So it shows that feeding, um, particularly if somebody isn't that in need of losing weight, feeding during sessions may just allow you, even for something that might be considered you know, a fairly aerobic session, it may be important that in getting stuff in, it helps you to effectively adapt or do that recovery as you're doing the session. Yeah. Not like, oh, it's only a recovery session, I won't take any fuel. Hold on a minute. That might be digging a hole that you don't realise. That Even if it's only a small hole, this is suggesting that the signallers are doing something that they should. So there's probably some sessions where you do want nothing and be fasted, there's other sessions where you want to definitely be taking on board stuff and say, you know what, 
I've actually got to take on board fuel, not even for now, but to upregulate the recovery process for later. For later on. Yeah. And it might not be even later today, it might be later on tomorrow or the next week. Yeah? Very good. So that was the International Journal of Sport Nutrition and Exercise Metabolism 2013. Thought you'd like that one. Nice. Particularly that phrase, inter intercellular signalling. Yeah, catchy title. Yeah. Um, and finally, before we say our farewells, this is a world record for the podcast. VFM this is, isn't it? Yep. Um, echinacea does not enhance your VO2 max. Okay. So, oh, so there's a few studies that looked at taking big doses, 8,000 milligrams cool. of echinacea a day. I don't know how many drops that is, but that probably is a heck of a lot of drops. And they looked at basically... Um, six weeks of that they looked at um you know trained runners and tried to see whether if they're on a placebo or whether there was echinacea going into the system what what actually went on and it was um it was double blind so they didn't know who did and didn't have it but they looked at hematocrit hemoglobin vo2 max blah 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 blah, blah. um they found nothing and the reason probably was that the previous two studies that had found something were done on people that were very, very, very overweight and very unfit. And possibly the reason why there's previous VO2 max increases is that it, it just triggered some of the people to do something anyway. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. therefore it wasn't, you know, this is trained people and it has no, it has no effect. Because when echinacea and VO2 max increase was first put together, it was kind of like, oh, this is quite exciting, but hold on a minute, it doesn't fully make sense and does it work? And it doesn't seem to work in already trained people. It may still be that it's a great way of keeping colds at bay, um, but it isn't going to be this VO2 booster that the research and for a while some supplements were claiming that, you know, it was going to massively boost your VO2 max. But sorry, that's not the case. So still take your echinacea, you know, straight onto your tongue, droplet form, like the, um, uh, I think it's Bioforce version, straight onto your tongue, swill it around your mouth for 10 seconds. That'll help um, beat or reduce the severity of a cold, but it won't increase your VO2 max. Outrageous. Outrageous. I think we might be almost done at this point. There we go. I think we've just got to say thank you to everybody for their questions, because they've been really good. They're brilliant. Really um, good. Get in touch via the, the tweets, the Facebook, the email. Uh, it's really good to get just a, a total variety of, of questions. Even if yeah, we're good. you know, even if we're we're pinned down to go, oh I don't know about that. I'd rather have that. I'd yeah. rather have something that, that sort of, you know, challenges not just the same question, oh I've got the same question as last time. Because there are so many different scenarios that But even if the question beats us, you can give us a give us a podcast or two and then we'll come back with uh... With, with with answers and research. So. Yeah, and there was um, the subjects about shorter cranks, advantages or disadvantages. I've not taken that off of the list. I just haven't had the time to actually go through that specifically. Um, I'm a I'm a short crank sceptic, I have to say, when people are talking super short, but I'm open to reading it Yes. and seeing what happens. So thank you. Keep in touch. Happy New Year. Hope you had a good Christmas. Stay safe. No, I meant to say train smart first. Train smart. Stay safe. Stay safe. And the worst winter for 100 years is still to come. <laughs> <laughs>